Our guest today, I'm personally speaking, is Father Bob Bonner, who has served as Executive Director of the Association of United States Catholic Priests. Please stay with us. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Father Bob Bono joins me now. Father Bono is a priest in the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio. Father Bono was ordained in 1967 and served as pastor of Christ Our Savior Roman Catholic Church in Struthers, Ohio, before retiring in 2016. He served in the diocese in various capacities and became involved with the Association of United States Catholic Priests in 2012 when it was first formed, becoming its executive director until July of 2021. The Association of United States Catholic Priests was founded to provide pastoral and moral support to accused priests. Some priests who have been accused of sexual abuse are exonerated. Others are accused and convicted. There are still many others who have been accused with civil and ecclesial investigations that go on for months or even years. Some priests are never convicted or exonerated. Father Bono is here with us today to talk about the mission of the Association of United States Catholic Priests, why this pastoral support for accused priests is really important, and why he remains active in the organization. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Father Bob Bono. Father Bob Bono is our guest. Delighted to have him on Personally Speaking. Bob, you're ordained in 1967, so i got to ask you what I very often ask couples who are renewing their vows. Um, looking back, 1967 to 2022, would you do it again? Oh, yes, yes. It, it took me, uh, you know, many years. Uh, let me calculate. Four in college, four in uh, the university, uh, you know, the seminary and all of that. So it adds up to, uh, you know, a decade. And I think that once you make that kind of a decision, uh, having waited, I, I think that uh, I'd do it again. Okay. Now, in 1967, when you get ordained, uh, it's, it's not too long after the closing of the council. And I'm wondering, as a young priest filled with the spirit of uh, the Second Vatican Council, what were your hopes, your expectations, uh, your ideals back then, and uh, how... How fully have they been realized? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I was uh, in Rome uh, at the North American College for two of the years of the uh, Second Vatican Council. Okay. And uh, there were all kinds of things that were influencing the education that I got down at the Gregorian University. Um, lots of changes, adjustments, looking forward. Um, and so it was a very positive uh, kind of, of, of experience. I personally didn't go down to St. Peter's all that often, as some of my classmates did, uh, instead of going to class. But uh, I learned a lot. I came away with a great sense of um, there's a lot of movement uh, to do God's work uh, in our world. And, um, you know, we had a new way of going about things. And so uh, for me, it was a very positive uh, time and experience. Father Bob Bono is our guest. We'll talk about the United States uh, Association of Catholic Priests, which he was executive director for in a little while. But first, let's go back to uh, some family of origin stuff. The family you grew up in, Bob, 
Um, how, how Catholic were they? Was the, the embrace of your vocation the result of seed that they had planted, or did you come to this pretty much on your own? No, no, it was, uh, I'm not sure there is a more Catholic family that I grew up in. Um, my father had uh, two brothers uh, and all went to Campion High School up in Wisconsin, a Jesuit high school. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, my oldest uncle uh, did become a Jesuit priest who served for 24 years in uh, India. Uh, okay. My dad uh, then wanted also to be a priest. He was second in line. And, uh, you know, but the, the Jesuit said, ah, we don't think you're the, you're the right person for that. So <laughs> he wound up, though, he was very, very pious. He wound up a physician and he went to mass every, every day. Mm -hmm. uh, he married my mother, who was a nurse, and she came from a family that was also very Catholic. Okay. And um, so I, I grew up in a very Catholic environment, uh, Catholic high school, Catholic grade school, Catholic <laughs> university, mm -hmm. seminary, etc. So um, uh, it, it, it just fit. I enjoyed it. Okay. When you look back at the upbringing of your parents, what did they do right in raising you and your family? Um, well, the first thing that might fit that my older brother, uh, two years older than I am, he was born in, uh, in uh, 1939. And everybody was home. My dad had already begun his practice, but then he went off to the Navy and he was in the Navy through the 40s. Um, mm -hmm. uh, happily, he was never uh, in, in any uh, battle. But, uh, you know, so he was not around for most of those four years because he was on duty. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we were born uh, one after another. And then once uh, the war was over, uh, dad came back home and we settled in. Uh, up in uh, up in North Canton, uh, and I think we just uh, developed a very Catholic uh, uh, culture that we mm -hmm. lived in. But but what do they teach you? What when you look at their personalities, mom and dad? What what part of them is working through you? Uh, prayerfulness. Okay. Uh, that was when we were growing up as kids. We said the rosary at night, kneeling at our beds, mm -hmm. um, going to uh, to church regularly every Sunday. Uh, you know that was not uh, that was not open for debate. It was just something yeah. that we were expected to do. We were expected to learn and grow in our faith, mm -hmm. uh, and to model ourselves in many respects on them. Okay, Father Bob Bonos, I guess. Bob, when I have in, in, more in the past than recently, because I have my 102-year-old mom to care for, but I used to do mm. a lot of clergy conferences, and I mention that because sometimes I'd be mystified by priests who would identify themselves by pontificates. So I'm a John Paul priest, I'm a Benedict priest, I'm a Francis priest. Um, you, you've lived now, right, through Pius, John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul the First, John Paul the Second, Benedict, as well as Francis. Uh, your your impression, as style of leadership goes, of the men that have been the Holy Father in your time? You want each one? Whatever you want to tell me. <laughs> well, I think that uh, John the Twenty Third was my hero in many respects. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I had grown up under Pius the Twelfth, and all of a sudden, this really poly guy from Van Venice, yeah. uh, who was pretty unknown. I mean, he was. Uh, most of his uh, life as a bishop and then an archbishop, a representative of the, of the church over in, in Greece and Turkey. I mean, he was out in the boondocks mm -hmm. and uh, not considered to be a very, very smart fellow. 
but he was. And then they moved him up to Paris to be the the, uh, the church's representative in in France. Mm-hmm. And all of it. Then he went to Venice. He became a cardinal in Venice, and then he came down. And so uh, I, I was very fascinated with him. I think that uh, he mm-hmm. had a whole new French kind of approach. Uh, to everything. He said very surprising things. So be, he was installed in October and in September, the following September, he said, we're going to have an ecumenical council. Right. Everybody right. kind of fell apart. What do you mean? You know, but he was determined to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wound up uh, getting a doctorate and I wrote on John the 23rd um. and, and how did this 70, I think it was 78 when he became Pope and he That's died right. within five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, how in the world in, in so few years uh, with so uh, a certain sense of um, quickness, mm-hmm. uh, he pulled off this administratively, he pulled it off. And uh, that's what I wrote my dissertation about. So he's been a hero ever since. Let me ask you, and this is a, a tender question to be sure, but it just seems in recent times that the church is moving pretty quickly toward uh, declaring most of our popes in your lifetime and mine to be saints. Certainly Pius is, uh, is moving in that direction. John is already a saint, and Paul is a saint, and, and uh, now they're making, they've made John Paul I a saint, John Paul II a saint. Um, your impression of, is that a good thing? Well, I don't think it's a bad thing in the sense that uh, all of those popes, um, as far as we know, there may be other things that aren't so well known, but I think they did provide good, uh, positive, uh, holy, if you will, service Mm -hmm. to the church in different ways. I think that um, Pius XII was not named a, a saint because I think he ran into some problems because of the decisions that he made and he were involved in uh, during the Second World War. Um, I think that, that uh, from my point of view, I think it has become sort of uh, a pattern that I think would best be broken. Uh, I, I would think that if we follow it, I, I'm convinced that Pope Francis, current Pope Francis, um, certainly deserves, uh, but within you know, study of his life and study of the service he provided, I think he's likely going to be uh, declared a saint. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it 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 became too overdone in some respects, and uh, but that's what they've done, and that's kind of where we are. I think yeah. it can be toned down a bit. Uh, yes. You know, John Paul II, perhaps. I mean, he, he got into the pattern of of naming so 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 many people saints. Yeah. I think more than all the rest of them combined. That's right. That's uh, right. And I think that that can get overdone. It may, may have become overdone. I was with yesterday, uh, the head of an organization, Pave the Way Foundation, which is uh, interreligious. Uh, and they, they've done a lot of study on, you mentioned Pius Twelfth, and they feel he's been badly maligned and did uh, more than the best he could do in terms of trying to save as many Jewish people as possible in an almost impossible situation with uh, Hitler breathing down his neck. But they, mm-hmm. they are big de- big defenders, and the Jewish members of the organization are some of his biggest defenders, and uh, it was refreshing to hear what they had to say. Now, now you get involved some years ago with the United States organization, the Association of United States Catholic Priests. Uh, tell us why it was founded, what's its purpose, and what has it achieved? Well, I think there are a couple of factors that that come into play on that. The first is that uh, I I think that with the changes that were made in the liturgy, 
-hmm. and the books of the liturgy that uh, were undertaken kind of, um, uh, they just made a decision they were going to do that. And they spent several years in, in coming up with it. But the translations that came to the United States, there was a lot of concern among that, uh, with that, among many priests. And, and uh, one of the priests who was the, the pastor of the cathedral in Seattle, um, he, he wrote up uh, and, and said, let's field test it first. Let's not just dump it on all of the uh, churches because there was considerable discomfort with it. There was mm -hmm. even one of the Benedictine, uh, Benedictine priests from up in uh, Minnesota. He had been part of, of translating into that. He got so uh, upset with what they were doing that he, he just pulled back and resigned. So oh. I think that was a major factor that was hitting uh, a lot of priests across the country. Uh, our first gathering was the biggest that we ever had in our association because so many people were upset with the way that this thing was unfolding. And it, it just looked like all that Vatican II had moved forward was being reversed. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, a couple of priests got together and decided they would uh, have this gathering and out of it form an association. And uh, that happened in 2011. Um, first yeah, they, they got together and in 2012 was our first gathering and we've been going ever since. So I think that's uh, one of the major things. The other thing that I think is, is part of it is that a lot of priests had a feeling that all of Vatican II was being reversed, not mm -hmm. just uh, what was going on liturgically. And so, uh, you know, when we gathered, we wanted to, to um, kind of promote and recover and uh, refresh for ourselves the teaching of Vatican II and try to make sure we integrate it into our life and the life of the church. So that's what we've been about in many respects ever since. Now, during the time the organization has been working, let's be honest, it's also the years during which uh, so much has broken out in terms of the scandals of the church. When, yeah. it, when you know, the Ground Zero was Boston for a while, when that story broke and we became aware of the uh, significant numbers of priests who had perhaps done bad things and the cover-up that went with it, uh, as, as a very faithful guy, loves his church, loves his priesthood, what was Bob Bono's response to the, the news that we were... Uh, uh, grappling with a serious scandal. Well, I mean, it was it was disappointment uh, mm. on many fronts. Um, I had an experience with uh, with fellow priest in my diocese who, who had been accused. Um, he had actually spent a long time uh, as a Navy chaplain. Mm. He came back and he was appointed by Cardinal O'Connor to uh, go and represent the uh, the, the church and over in, the, um, in Israel, and I forget exactly what the title of that was. He came mm -hmm. back, he became a pastor, and from way in the back, from uh, when I was uh, the pastor of the parish in which uh, he had been an associate, he got accused by somebody from way back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what happened was uh, he had the resources that he, he just went to, to law. He actually won his case. But then uh, he had been removed from the pastorate that he had, mm -hmm. and even though he was he was in a, he was exonerated, they didn't let him go back to ministry, and he was a very crushed guy. Uh, and so I think a lot of that was happening. Um, 
in our own diocese just recently. I think the uh, the way that this was handled, there was an incident um, in my diocese, and then this, this particular priest had come over from Slovakia, and so he, he was getting through the first one, and then something came up in the second one, and I'm very sorry to say he committed suicide about mm. two weeks ago because he was removed from active ministry in spite of the fact that in the church that he was pastoring, he was much loved. But somebody went after him. So I think, and, and uh, we have find that uh, there are lots of priests that are suffering from that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing has happened. It, it still needs to be done better. Mm -hmm. Well, you're raising a very important point. I really did want to talk about this today because uh, you know and I know, and uh, from going to those clergy conferences and speaking, I've listened to enough priests say they feel that since the Dallas Charter, effectively, that... Uh, uh, a priest doesn't have fundamental rights to protection and that anyone from anywhere can accuse anybody of anything and the accusation is taken with great seriousness the priest is so often removed and that he has no defense that he has been in the words of too many brothers i'm afraid thrown under the bus uh if you had a hand and i know we didn't if you had a hand in uh rewording the dallas charter what might have been different about it well i'm not familiar enough uh, frankly, uh, with the uh, charter, uh, to be really able to uh, to rewrite it, to, uh, to rewrite it. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there are lots of particulars that we have in our association a mutual support committee mm. uh, that we've had for several years. It's one of the basic vision and mission uh, statements that we have that we want to provide mutual support to one another mm -hmm. because priests across the country have been very much on their own uh, yeah. before and and even worse now with all of these uh, accusations and so uh, we we are trying to address that and improve things we know a number of priests that were accused had to spend mm -hmm. a lot of money to get exonerated um, but the, the problem still goes on. And even to the point that in some dioceses, the, the pension that these priests earned over many years of service have been taken away from them. Wow. So they're kind of out there on their own. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a very deep concern that we all have. And our association is national. <clears throat> yeah, priests from not all dioceses necessarily, but pretty much across the country. And um, we arose at the time that the, um, uh, the, the federal, uh, National Federal Co uh, Council of, of, of Pre, of, of uh, yeah, what is it? I'm, I'm blanking the, my name on it, but it, it used to be the National Federation of Priests, Priests right. Councils. And it was under the USCCP and it, it, it folded around about 2014, 2015. And, and they were just uh, representatives of councils of churches and dioceses. Mm -hmm. So in many respects, the individual priests didn't have any place to go outside of their own boundaries. So I, 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 that's all I can say about it. I don't have a solution. I don't know what needs to be done better. Yeah. Bob, let me ask you, Father Bob Bono is our guest. A, a priest today gets a call and he's accused as someone who's known guys who are accused and knows what, what what's out there, what should a guy do? I, I, the stories I've heard are that there are some folks who just fold. They, they're so overwhelmed by, first of all, the accusation and then the lack of support they sometimes feel that uh, they, they go hopeless pretty quickly. As a guy who wants priests to have hope, 
What would you say to the priest friend of yours who calls and says, you're not going to believe this, but I've been accused. What do I do? Yes, well, our committee has uh, addressed that, and we learned a lot, actually, from the priests in Ireland. They had developed, and we've sent it out. We, we adapted it for our own country. Uh, they sent their this little card that can fit into your billfold um, to every priest in Ireland, and we thought, gee, this is a good thing because it, it had some canonical advice, mm-hmm. and it had some, some just uh, handle yourself well kind of advice. So we've sent that out to all 33 or 30,000 priests here in the United States. And it it says some practical things like, if you're accused, never go into your bishop's office by yourself. Mm. And just listen a lot to what the the bishop has to say, and always have somebody there with you who is taking notes, so that you're not kind of getting all upset and speaking and and just dig the uh, problem into a deeper hole. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that we've done. Secondly, we have uh, we have some good canon lawyers who have been very active on that front, and they're available to any priest who finds himself in a dilemma mm-hmm. that there are uh, good uh, canonical lawyers in good standing in the church who are willing to stand up and help these priests deal with their situation, whatever it is, whether they're guilty or not, mm-hmm. they're treated with dignity. And, you know, until confirmed, they are innocent until held, held uh, responsible, I guess is the term. Mm-hmm. Bob Bonos, I guess, a, a related but unrelated point I wanted to ask you about, Bob. Our guest last week was Tanya Tetlow, who was the first a lay woman, first lay person to be uh, president of Fordham University in yes. New York. Uh, she was a great guest, but I, I hadn't known until we were talking that her dad was a Jesuit priest for 17 years before he left the priesthood to marry her mom. And she did say during the interview that uh, in a perfect world, she knows her father would like to have been both married and to remain a Jesuit priest because he loved both vocations. Um, you, you talk to enough priests to know uh, there are mixed feelings on this, but what's your own point of view? Is there, is there a value to going back to the early church standard of saying we can have both a celibate clergy and a married clergy? And do you see any sign that Pope Francis might be moving in that direction? Well, I I'm not sure I've paid a, that Francis has paid that much attention to that, but I would simply speak as a priest here in the United States. When I was ordained back in 1967, I think my diocese had something in the vicinity of 170 priests. Mm -hmm. Um, We now have, I think, an active duty. I think it's about 49. It might be one or two more than that. Uh, It has resulted in, in, I think, a lot of uh, uh, burden on fewer priests if we're going to keep going. And of course, uh, probably in your place too, mm-hmm. certainly in my diocese, they're consolidating uh, uh, different churches, different parishes into one parish. Um, last week, I was over in Pennsylvania serving a, a parish there. Uh, a parish with seven churches in it, one, one pastor, and he has one associate. Uh, and they, they're using three of the churches for um, liturgies, but, uh, you know, not with, with great 
a frequency in all of them, mm-hmm. uh, but with some regularity, and then the other four are hanging out there for funerals and all the rest of it. I think that's damaging for the health of the Catholic community. And I think it's it's a, a, a putting burdens on priests. Then on the other side, I think that there are, uh, I, I hear women uh, preaching. I hear women uh, leading. I, I uh, had the occasion to do a mass at uh, the Ursuline Sisters here, and uh, and it was a talk. I, I, I made my remarks, and then she had comments to say to her, her whole community. She was the president of the community. When she got done, I said, "You can come and preach at my at my parish anytime you want," because there's a whole different feeling. There's a whole different emotion. There's a whole different richness if we let women also be part of it. Now, I I think that having celibate priests is a good thing. I think that we can do things, but to insist that every priest has to be uh, a celibate, I think is to to hurt ourselves. And I think the fact that we're welcoming in uh, uh, priests from the Episcopalian church, from Lutherans, et cetera, and they're coming into the church, they're married, and Mm. they are serving as priests. So why not expand that? Yeah. I think it's healthy for us to do that. And, and you know, you, you touch on something, Bob, that's uh, another fact that needs to be considered is since that 1970-something ordination uh, class of yours, or when you had uh, 140, 150 priests, that the Catholic community has not shrunk. It's, if anything, gotten bigger around the United States, and uh, uh, there's even more of a need for healthy and uh, active priests to be there to serve the people of God. So you're raising a bunch of important issues, and uh, but, you know, I remember, he's not our bishop anymore, but one of our former bishops, uh, when they were going to do a story in the secular newspaper about the shortage, sent out a message to us, we are not to talk about it because there is no shortage, kind of a sense mm. of denial and stuff. But mm. how, how long can the church go into denial about the reality that we haven't got the means to serve the people of God? I'd like to thank Father Bob Bonner for being with us uh, and, and to thank him too for his amazing service to the church in America and the church in the world and also his spirit of hope. You know, what comes across by listening to you, Bob, is uh, for all the ups and downs of our church, mm-hmm. you you still are an active believer sharing the faith, it, delighted when uh, people step forward to serve either in lay ministries or ordination. Uh, you, you, and especially through your work, I think, through the uh, the Association of United States Catholic Priests, you know, to to give mutual support to so many guys who are feeling so isolated and alone in these sometimes challenging times. You you do wonderful work. You're doing it well into retirement, and I'm just so grateful for all you've done and will continue to do. And uh, thank you, Bob, for being with us and personally speaking. Well, thank you, Monsignor. Uh, it's been a delight, and I hope uh, it adds some meaning for those that watch your program. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to reach me, you can write me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to this show or past episodes by going on YouTube and searching under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Gimelsanti, where you'll be able to watch shows as well. And please don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Gimelsanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, personally speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.